0: Hey friends, welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. My name is Bethany Lee and this is episode number three. Our guest today is Lainey Ashker, who is a super successful eventing and dressage rider. She has won two silver medals and three bronze at the Junior Olympics, but her big claim to fame are her thoroughbred horses. She takes a lot of pride, and rightfully so, In bringing up her very own horses, she has taken three horses straight from the racetrack and has turned them into four-star-level superstars. Don't you want to know how she did that? Well, if you are looking for a lesson in trusting the process, then you are in the right place. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Wonderful, thank you. Well, I am so excited you are on the Equestrian Podcast today. Happy to
1: be here. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Awesome. Um, so I wanted to get right into it. Um, tell us how you um, first started riding. Oh, it's a good story. Um, well,
1: I just have to blame everything on my mother, Valerie Asker, who's an off track thoroughbred enthusiast. She's an amazing person in and of herself because she uh, rode across the country um, two years ago. It took her six months and 10 days on a thoroughbred to raise awareness for off-the-track thoroughbred. So my mom wow. has sort of been into the underdogs. Um, growing up, and she had an Appaloosa thoroughbred that she rode um, until she was seven months pregnant with me at a preliminary championship. Probably would have been the equivalent of like a one star. Um, and back then, the cool thing was that uh, you didn't have to wear a safety vest for cross country. Um, wow. And my mom had one specially made for her, and because and she had special riding britches. My aunt, <laughs> my aunt sewed <laughs> special riding britches for her. So I guess you could say I kind probably kind of like came out riding. Um, and I. I rode my mom's horse when I was two, and then I, wow. rode, I, I had my first pony when I was three, and um, yeah, it's just always been something that I've always, I've always done since I was literally in my mom's tummy.
0: Wow! So she lit. She literally was competing with like a full-on baby bump. Yes, full on, amazing. Literally.
1: And my mom's a very small person, so um, you could see that baby bump even in the pictures. It's great. So
0: oh, awesome! <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, so cool. So fast forward, um, at what point are you thinking, okay, this, I'm not just like the obsessed horse girl. I'm wanting to make this a career path. Uh, you
1: know, I was sort of always a pretty horse crazy kid. Um, I I went back in California. I was born and raised in California, Northern California. So Sierra Gold Pony Club, which is now Deer Creek, shout out you guys. Um, and it's Actually, that Pony Club has raised quite a few of top riders, Casey Perry Glass being one of them, Allie Knowles being another one, um, Danny Caslett. Like, a lot of really good riders came from that specific one, and it's not a very, like, it's a horsey area, but it's kind of backyard. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, but it's amazing the riders that they created. Um, Clarice O'Brien and Carmella and um, Jeannie, all those ladies really had a profound um a profound effect on my riding career, and and made me love it. You know, it was a pony club that was, didn't just sit around and, you know, dawdle around, which was cool. Um, yeah. Eventually, when I I kind of got out a pony club quite early because I sort of knew what I wanted to do, um, and my and my horse was uh, two years old or three years old, two years old off the track, so that was kind of fun. But I went to go work. Um, my mom would drop me off for a long weekends at Eve Sauvignon place, who was a longtime coach of mine, and. Yeah, it was sort of, I did a, like, it wasn't really a working student program because I would have been, like, you know, really, really young. But, you know, she dropped me off, and they had sort of, like, a kid program. And then as I got older, I kept going there and started to do, like, a little, you know, training week on and off with with Eve. And Eve was the one that sort of hooked me up with um, Stephen Bradley and Jimmy Walker when um, I moved out east. And, yeah, so I just... I sort of always knew I was, I was that kid and it really was, I, w- I was big into, uh, swimming as well. So I had swim team practices at like five in the morning and then I would ride after school. And finally I, um, you know, I had to make that choice of which one I wanted to take pro or, you know, take, take further on in the career. And I was, I was 13 and my mom and I were moving out to, uh, Virginia. My parents were, were separating and, um, you know, my mom wanted, you know, I was showing a lot of promise. I was going solid training level, looking to move up to prelim. And so, you know, my mom had just, she said, let's, let's take a shot. And she, and she drew a line literally from Sacramento, where I live in the foothills of Sacramento. Um, straight across the latitude of the map and sort of landed on Richmond. Um, Wow. My mom knew, like, we didn't know any better. Like, my colors were hot pink and black, for crying out loud. So, (laughs) like, we we didn't really know much about, like, where the right place to be was, but we knew it was somewhere like Virginia, Pennsylvania, North Carolina for the horses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it it seemed all cool when we looked out here. And then when we actually did move out here, I was pretty bummed out. And so for really cool story, so my mom sort of or make me excited about the move, my first trip ever was to go to Rolex. And I was 14. And I remember I was awesome. I, like, doing prelims, So I thought it was, I was like really, really cool. <laughs> um, and it was the first year it was a four star and Nick Larkin won on red and, um, and little like Buck was there riding this Morgan called pajama game, which so funny. I ended up being his, like, you know, one of his longest standing students. And uh, the next time I would go back was when I was competing when I was 20. So it was wow. kind of cool to, um, to see, like, I saw the very first four-star, um, you know, in the country. And then I got to compete at the very last long-format four-star, which was really cool when I was when I was 20 years old. So kind of coming f- full circle there and a lot to be proud of because my mom and I certainly, I mean, I ran my first fair hill without any studs because we didn't know any better. So wow. um, it was pretty cool to uh, have four, have have my mom that could find the horses off the track and then have the horses that would put up with our inexperience, you know, and take and literally none of them have been let down. They've all taken me to the top level. And wow. If they haven't, it's because they've, you know, dealt with a lameness issue or they've or they've passed on, but they've all given me their heart. And it's pretty special to have had that relationship with all these horses. And I have to give the credit to my mom for finding that.
0: Um do you primarily ride thoroughbreds? Mm. Well,
1: as my business has expanded, I sort of Ride everything. I've literally got almost every ton of horse at my barn. Wow! But yes, I've I my success has come off of a thoroughbred, um, and I, they are my they are my favorite breed. And I, um, my top my top eventing horse is a thoroughbred. And you know, Al was a thoroughbred. Literally, mm-hmm. um, three of my four four star horses were off the track, and the fourth one was half thoroughbred, half Cleveland Bay, which is just really cool. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a really cool thing to to have. To, that someone must have bred and said, "Oh, this is a good idea," and it worked out. Royally. So yeah, I you know, I, I primarily ride thoroughbreds in the dressage world, they're not as popular. So my dressage horses are you know a mixture of warm blood and Spanish horses. Mm-hmm. So from that hill from you know Germany, uh Netherlands, and you know, sort of sort of all over the map there. Um and that's sort of a world I've not yet broken into with the thoroughbred. I mean, Al has I took Al for uh, last year and he won everything at third level. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really hard to break into that world with the thoroughbred because they're just you know it's hard to beat that movement and that cadence of the warm blood. but I know right. I know there are some out there that can. I do know there. So awesome. you out hope for that to
0: happen very cool. is and is your mom still working with you to um kind of scout out these off- the track thoroughbreds? Oh, yes,
1: yeah. she's the method behind the whole madness of the thoroughbreds. Okay. And she's got an unbelievable, impeccable eye. and a lot of top riders will go to her and say, hey, I, I can you find me a horse? You know, the California horses, to so the West Coast bred horses aren't nearly as expensive as the as the Kentucky Bloods. Um, sure. And so my mom is very good about just finding a horse. There's one, Skyler, Skyler Voss has a horse named Argyle that's been, you know, intermediate horse of the year and, mm-hmm. and um, prelim horse of the year, one AECs. And Skylar's just done such a great job with him. And my mom claimed that horse. She believed <laughs> in it so much. She drove down to LA and personally claimed him and put him on the trailer and said, and, Skyler, and Skyler's done the rest of the magic, you know. But my mom, wow. just, she's got such a great eye for a horse. She's really blessed. And it's, I mean, they're, half the time I'm going, what are you bringing home? And mm-hmm. and they always, they never, they never let us down. They wow. never let us down. So I'm very lucky to have that. And, you know, and my mom has always given that to me. And that's her greatest joy is to see these horses that she's either bred, because we have some we have some jockey club thoroughbreds that she's bred, Mm-hmm. Um, or that she found off the track, and to just give the give the whole sport and give the the breed a, a new lease on life, and and people like Stuart Pittman with his retired racehorse project have done, you know, the Secretariat Center, you mm-hmm. know, they've done just they've done just a very very great job with really really br- making them trendy. I should say I don't like to say trendy because it it sort of um, connotates a bad you know a bad vibe but right you know, like it's fleeting at, yeah, yeah but, it, but it's not it's it's i think they're coming back people are coming back to realizing that look thoroughbreds are thoroughbreds are very relevant in in, in the sport in the sport of eventing and um and they're not going anywhere you know right. so long as the sport doesn't change drastically they're not going anywhere you just have to be a little more picky about the movement
0: yeah. Yeah. I had an off the track thoroughbred mayor, um, as my hunter when I was young uh-huh. and I, I have to agree. I mean, there's something special about their drive and their kind of eagerness to please and um, Their And motivation to work too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what would you say are, are the things that set them apart that make you want to, um, partner with, with thoroughbreds when you compete? Um, you know, I have to say the probably the biggest thing that's something that's that,
1: that you can't measure, it's immeasurable is that is their heart. You mm-hmm. know, their heart is hands down. i have I have ridden, ridden some amazing warm bloods, some amazing Irish horses, but there's something about a thoroughbred that when you ask them for that little bit more in the tank, they give you a lot more. And mm-hmm. there's um there there's just they just have that extra drive extra drive to go further and um not to mention you know they come off the track most of them they know how to shoe you know they might they might come with a couple you know hiccups of like a weaving or craving who knows but but they're pretty business oriented horses Mm -hmm. my biggest advice to people when they start them is give them a job give these horses a job because they're used to it and you start dawdling around them or babying them is when you start to have issues with them because they're used to having a job from a very young age you know right. like, I can't give Al like I can't ever really retire Al he's been racing since he was a three-year-old you know mm-hmm. and and that's all he knows is to work and, and funny enough they stay sounder when they're working both, right. both physically and mentally so yeah it was it's I have to say the one thing that I've had of, of these thoroughbreds more than anything it's really just something immeasurable I can't even say movement I've ridden better movers Jumpers have ridden amazing jumpers of all breeds. But but what it comes down to at the end of the day is that that want, that want to cross the finish flags. And mm-hmm. that's something you can't train in a horse. You cannot train that in a horse. They gotta
0: want it. They gotta want it. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so the from the minute they step off the trailer to your facility, what's that kind of training process like? Because obviously you have, you know, a young Horse, who's really only known to go, go, go. Which you know, for for areas of your discipline, you know, there's there's certain you know tweaks and adjustments that are needed to be made. So, what what's your what's that process like? Well, my
1: mom, my mom starts most of them. Um, okay. I'm sorry, the, the last couple of batch I've done because my mom has been out here. Um, but before, and my mom is moving back to California, so I'll have that on my side. My mom usually gives them a, you know a little bit of time off. You know whether it's depending on the horse how much weight they need, uh, but most of the time it's not very long, um, maybe a week, and she will take them on. My mom used to live on the Tevis Cup trails. If anybody knows anything about endurance, Tevis Cup is like the biggest endurance race um, mm-hmm. in the, in the country, and it's world renowned. And my mom lived on the Tevis Cup trails, and she would take a very fit racehorse, a very young, very fit racehorse, alone alone because they have to learn to depend on her rather than other horses they're used to being around other horses right um and would and would walk those trails because and you would be so so darn stunned to see how these horses go from being completely race fit you take them on a walk trail and they're lathered and swept because not because they're nervous because but because they don't use those parts of the body they don't use those muscles um, and it just teaches them sure-footedness to look down. I want to be crossing bridges with them. Um, teach them. They have no idea what the leg, what the concept of the leg is. Hey, mm. that's the best place to use it. I think the most common mistake that people make is when they get these horses off the track, they put them right away, try to put them onto the bridle, put them in the bit, right? right. right away, put them in an arena. You know, like they have—they don't understand what going into the contact is. And usually what, what that means to them is to go faster. Because after what jockeys do is they sort of pull right. back so the horse can, can flatten out. Um, and then people end up, then they get a bad name because they're putting, they're being put in contraptions and draw rings and side reins and lunging and, and then they become neurotic and you can't really blame them for that, you know, right. they're, they're a product of their environment. And, um, I think people need to spend more time out and it's hard to tell people to do that because not everybody is comfortable being outside of the arena, but that, for me, that has been one formula that we have stuck to since day one is, is their first, their first you know lease on on their new life is out of the arena learning to go forward on their own lear- learning that the leg isn't a punishment right um, and learning to seek the contact as opposed to me pulling back on it you know long reign like look sure-footedness and it can't i mean that's the most amazing kind of training for horses that are going to be doing cross-country and the whole bit so um that has been sort of our formula and has not let us down one time. And, and you know, everybody has their own way of doing things. And I'm not going to even say that there are other ways are wrong, but I know what way is right as well.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, for uh, for people who are looking to um, purchase an off-the-track thoroughbred, where would they even get started to look? Where, where are some good places for them to be looking
1: well, so my mom has her own person, a couple people that she is, and she's makes sort of contacts on the track, sure. a couple contract uh, contacts on the track. Um, you know, places like the Secretariat Center. Um, I know I'm I'm plugging them right now, but just because I really respect what they do, they um, have a a very good trainer there for all these horses that come in. They and they write down a journal every single day of what the horse did, how it did it. Wow! And I've seen so many horses come through that center. A, they're really nice horses. Um, B, they've got really good riders. I mean, I've personally taught some of the riders that are there. And they're good riders that start these horses really well. And they've got a good foundation. And you guess what? You can go back. I mean, they have complete set of x-rays, all this stuff. You can go back. And if your horse is acting funny two months on the road, you just look at the look at the journal that they give you. I mean, and, it, and, and some horses are there for a year. Some horses are there for a month. But they do have a journal. And it's written in and their program is great you know i mean i ha- i can't say enough good things about them and they're very honest about hey this horse had a bow tendon but it's had prp or it's had stem cell it's had shockwave whatever mm-hmm. um, and they do a great job uh, you know canter is another great a great site but you know sometimes you you run into you know maybe there's a trainer on there that didn't be completely honest with you about an injury or whatnot at least with secretariat center you know exactly what you're getting exactly what you're getting
0: The concept of having a journal or log seems like it's so, um, should be so necessary, but it's really so rare to have something like that.
1: Oh, it's so, oh, it's totally rare. Which is crazy.
0: I mean, so many times people are getting a horse and and besides, you know, like a pre-purchase exam, really don't have much background info at all.
1: Right, because at the end of the day, the pre-purchase exam is the the lesser of all evils. I mean, that. Okay, why does my horse weave? Why does my I mean they all have to start this somewhere. Why does my horse weave? Why does my horse shy at yellow planks? You know, like, and that's the part where you know that's what I really love. What they do is they can tell you the horse came weaving or the horse came you know with a bad mouth and now and you can read through the journal. Okay, it's it's not weaving anymore. Just turnout help or something like along those lines. And I think I I love what they do. You know, I think they do a really good job. I don't do it personally because gosh, it takes so long. But the good thing is, is, when I'm selling a horse, I, I'm the only one that's riding my horses. Um, you know, I can tell you exactly what's, what's going on with, but let's face it. That's not the, that's not really how the world works anymore. So, right. um, no, I think I, I can't say enough good things about them. And, um, and like I said, I've, you know, people have bought horses off dream horse, you know, off canter and, um, they've had great success there too, but at least with the other, you know, what you're getting kind of deal
0: exactly yeah um so so walk me through um a typical we uh, a typical show weekend where you have an event um what kind of stuff do you pack um how do you how do you prep yourself how do you prep the horses and what's your kind of thought process as you're actually entering um your arenas
1: well so you know it, it depends on it most of the shows in the summer are one days so i'll just talk about a one day they okay. have a lot of horses, um, one day being dressage, show jumping cross country all in one day. And I think it's a great, a great method of teaching young horses, patience. um, you know, if they start off wild, I guarantee they don't finish wild by the end of the day. <laughs> um, and I'm always one that's sort of, um, disciplined through work, not disciplined through, through force or pain, just work, you know, and patience, and, I will say I'm I'm one that I cross country school my young horses the very last second before the show because I want it to be fresh in their head. I want it to always be a good experience. So if they're showing on a Saturday and the one day, they're cross-country schooling on Friday. Does it need to be a lot and crazy? No, not at all. But I want that to be something that's fresh in their mind because mm-hmm. I don't want to ever surprise them. That's how horses learn to stop, you know, like they and, and that's just always how I've done it. And it's it's seemed to work for me. Um, you know, and and most of these one days we are up at like two in the morning, leaving the day of. I've changed my style a touch this year as I have feel sometimes I feel my age a little bit um, <laughs> getting up at two o'clock in the morning and having Yikes. a day that lasts to 10 o'clock. So we've now since gone, you know, for the shows that are like three hours away, we'll go the night before and stable. Mm-hmm. Um, but we try to get most of the horses braided, um, braided that night before. Or we'll braid, like if someone goes, like we try, to, it's like a rule. Anything that goes noon or later, we braid them the day of. Anything that goes before, then we braid them the night before. And um, we never braid their forelocks, because I'm a huge believer that that gives horses headaches. Katie Strickland mm. told me that a long time ago. And I, mm. that we get their forelocks braided the day of. Um, and then we take them out right away when they're done with their work. But things like we sort of pack the, the big necessities that we need are like um the eco gold pads because they're usually it's usually hot out, you know, whether you're in Florida or in, or the summer in Virginia or Maryland for that matter, it gets quite hot. So the eco gold pads are great sweat wicking, um, cool pads. Um, you know, obviously, you know the, I, I wear my riding jacket even if jackets are waved because I just think it looks nicer. Um, and I have ones that are great for in the summertime, um, mm-hmm. our ice boots, ice, ice boots are super ideal. Uh, usually the week of we sort of, we try to keep the, I, I pull my horse's tails. Some people aren't into that. Um, you know, I pull my mane, pull my tails and I never think of it as being mean if you just keep it up. Um, and so we keep their tails pulled throughout the whole year, but we usually do like a little, you know makeover session right before the show so that they look pristine because i i'm a firm believer of um you know if you want to be the best you got to look the best right you better take your appearance seriously and people will take your appearance will take you seriously if you take yourself seriously um you know so i've got a great a great help dana mcdonald's my head groom um and she's been with me since the beginning of the summer and she's been absolutely amazing and she sort of learned the ropes as she's come as well and just been really patient with me and um uh, Kristen Kelly is another girl that's come from uh Sam Burton's school of grooming which I highly recommend to anybody that wants to learn anything Sam Burton is the world one of the world along with Max Corcoran top top grooms Emma Ford another one and um Sam created this grooming school That you can go to. I I can't remember how long it is. I believe it's a month long or a three week long program, which I'm actually sending Dana to starting next month, um, where they learn literally the odds and outs everything you used to know from studying to clipping to feeding to shoeing to lameness evaluations to hustling around the barn kind of deal. And I think it's such an important school that. You know, people see grooming in this country as a low-life job. And it's so, I, I I, know I could not do what I do without my groom. My groom is probably just as important as me, if not more important. Because if the mm-hmm. horses don't get ice, if the horses aren't sound, then there is no me. Right. So it's a, it's a job in UK or in Europe that's seen as very, um, as a, as a, as a, as a sought-after job. It's a great job to have. However, in the United States, it gets a little bit of this stratification of, of class almost, and it's a shame because it really the grooms are so so important. I don't know if we need to like give a different name to it to a grooming mm-hmm. position. Um, I like to call my call them my assistants, um, barn managers, um, but literally, like I, I, us as professional athletes would be nowhere without right. our grooms, nowhere yeah. without our grooms because if the horses aren't sound. You know, if the horses aren't happy, if the horses aren't, you know, in their day to day life enjoying the person that's working with them, aside from myself, then they're they're not going to perform for you.
0: Right. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Um. That's yeah. That's really cool. I did not know there was um that school, and that's yes. amazing.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely worth if anybody wants to learn. Um. And then and then what Sam does after is she she finds, uh, internships programs for these people that have graduated. That's how I met Kristen. Um, and so these people that have graduated from the school and they want to start to intern with one of the top riders, Sam, Sam pairs them with these riders so that they can get hands-on experience with, with top riders. And, um, it's a great thing for us looking for a place to get these grooms. Cause we know that anything that Sam does right. is going to be 110% unbelievable. Um, and it's great for, for them because she has all the contacts of the top riders and hey, where do you want to go? You want to go to California? You want to go to Illinois? You want to go to New York? You want to go anywhere? You want to go? There's a ride there that these people can
0: go work for. Yeah, that's amazing. That's such a smart program to have in place. It is. Um, so switching gears a little bit, because you aren't just an athlete, but you're a business owner, too. I mean, you are, um, you're a trainer, you're a clinician. Um, how do you balance all of that in your, with your show schedule, too?
1: You know, I find that I try to do, so So, Instagram's a beautiful thing. And the yeah. one thing that people don't understand is that your cell phone holds your your business life in, like, literally you hold it in the palm of your hands. And yeah. you can put one post on Instagram and blast it out to the rest of the social media portals. It's really that easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I have since hired a secretary, uh, Megan Murphy, who helps, like, with entering my horse shows. Because that, that is that is hard when you have that many horses, and then I'm trying to call different owners about like, what level you want, blah, blah. It's just easy when I have one person to do that for me. But it is something that I, um, you know, with, 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 the, with Instagram, I went back to business school in 2009, and I sort of learned the power of the hashtag and, and, and um, why the hashtag you know, works. And cause that was when it was first Twitter first came out. And that, that was an amazing experience to learn how to create social media to your, to your advantage. And, um, at the time it sort of was a great thing, a great, uh, springboard for me because I had, um, an accident the year before in 2008, which, um, which resulted in the death of my, of my Olympic horse, Frodo Baggins and my near death. And I was, blasted in, in media. Um, and I sort of decided right then and there, I was going to do no more interviews. Like I was going to take, I was going to take the proverbial bull by the horns and do my own social media. And, but I didn't really know how, and I'd gone back to business school at university of Richmond and I sort of started to figure out, okay, Twitter hashtag, you know, being searchable. And then when Instagram came out and Facebook was already a thing, but learning how to create Learning how to put out your own media and learning how to, learning how to interview is another thing. Like a lot of, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's very much a, an art to, to saying things in the right way that doesn't, but, but both doesn't offend people and then also remaining authentic. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't want to just say what people want to hear. You want to say, you want to say how you feel about things, but do it in a way that is easy for people to understand. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of all those tools that I took. And, um, so yeah, so that, so it's, I find it, I find it, you know, during, I find it actually quite easy because it's my nature to update people and sort of the whole, the whole method behind my, my business is, is, is being authentic and being reachable. And I think people like to know that you are a human being and that you are not too good to still answer their questions of how do I make my horse go on the bit kind of deal. Mm -hmm. And and although for some people that might seem like a stupid question a lot, for most people, they don't ride four stars. So they actually really want to know. I don't mind taking that time out and answering those questions or doing my, my lives and having people ask me, okay, how do you get weight on your horse? I've been struggling so hard. Okay. This is what I do, you know, or, and, and, and being authentic about it and being a real person and also not being afraid to share when you've had a bad experience, you know, on, a, on a, at a show or with something, and I think people genuinely want the right thing for you, and um, and it makes you more real to not just give out, you know, I won this, I won that, I won that. Of course, like we're professionals, so we want to win. That's just that's not the that's not the issue. It's 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 being real, and people want to book you for clinics when you are someone that's easy to get a hold of, easy to communicate with. Mm -hmm. Um, people want to send you horses to ride you know I set up photo streams with every one of my owners and we snap pictures of the horses every time I'm riding them I you know I've got the solo shot now or you know my mom or Dana um, will video my my sessions we blast them out I don't have to spend my time texting them Mm -hmm. right you just put it on a on a photo stream and then your owners they can save it they can do whatever the heck they want to with it but then they're updated on their horse. And it, those little tiny details go such a long way with people. Mm-hmm. And that's what I can really just base my business off of.
0: Well, and you're already at such an advantage because there, I mean, the, the stereotype of the normal equestrian athlete is there's a major disconnect between sure. the sport and then uh, even just communication in general, but especially social media. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. And it's very much of an old school
1: thing where, oh, you're putting your business out there. No, no, no. You're putting what you want to be heard. You're putting like I don't put the fact that I had, you know, three rails on Patrick out like it was an amazing thing. No, I was horrified by it. But the people have to know, like, okay, I rode way too fast on the course. It was completely my fault. And guess what? I'm human being. We make mistakes. Sometimes we get nervous, guys. And, And that is all part of the business prowess, because people like, like learning from real people. If people feel like, oh, there's no way I can ride like so-and-so, then they're not going to want to ride with you. They want to be able to like, all right, this person made mistakes, but look at, she's come back from it. Obviously there's a learning curve here, you know? And so that's, that's sort of where I try to identify with people because I make mistakes. I, you know, have anxiety. I am weird about my weight, you know? Like, I'm a person too. And I can, as as long as I can work through that in the public eye, I don't mind it because I genuinely think that people want to see you do well and people are genuinely good hearted. And if they're not, you know what, then they don't have to look at my page and it's all cool. And it doesn't, it's no harm, no foul kind of deal
0: totally yeah i i love your mindset and um you have just been like such a wealth of knowledge and i think that um just like hearing your authenticity and just your realness is very refreshing and Thank i you. Yeah, I understand why a lot of people love following your journey and and want to be a part of it. So I think that's really cool what you're doing.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Um, and I'm pretty sure I will be seeing you January 9th for the Equestrian Businesswomen Summit.
1: I was so honored to be asked to do that. I'm I'm so excited and, um, to be around all those ladies. I, I'm and I was not kidding when I made the post this morning about bringing my own. You know, pad a paper and a pen because I mean, to be around people um, that have had success in their line of business. I mean, all of that stuff overlaps, and 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 to be around people that inspire you and motivate you. I mean, what? I mean, any any woman that has anything to do with anything with horses, some sort of business. I even think business in general. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you can get if you can have, have success in this business, and you can probably have success in anything because it is literally For sure. <laughs> You know, I think as outside of of acting and um, in the music, you know, musical industry, I think you know horses is tough. It's tough to get by with horses, and um, and you, you got to be a communicator. You got to be a horse whisperer. You got to, you know, deal with you know bossing people around, but you, people have to want to work for you, not be afraid of you, kind of deal. You know, it's it's a lot yeah. to balance, and I'm super super excited about this summit. I'm I'm just I'm so stoked.
0: Yeah, it'll be amazing. I, yeah. I am so excited too. So yeah, um, I'm I'm actually going, this episode will hopefully be live right around the time of the event. But if any of you are listening and you are even interested in equestrian business, you totally should come if you're in the area. Um, Lainey and I will both be on the social media panel mm-hmm. and it's going to be a blast. Um okay. But Lainey, thank you so much for being on the Equestrian Podcast today. I learned so much and I know everyone listening learned a ton. And um, you're just amazing. And so thank thank you. you so much. Thank you for having me. If you got something out of this episode, could you do me a favor? I would love you forever if you could take five seconds and head over to the app where you listen to this episode and rate and review the Equestrian Podcast. It's super easy to do, and it allows people like you to find the podcast, and it allows us to find some amazing new guests and create awesome content just for you. Thanks in advance. Until next time, my name is Bethany Lee. Enjoy the ride.